friends. You can do a little bit better than that. Good morning. All right. Um, just by way of segue, it uh, feels strange because I've got my I got my notes. They have got writing on them. But when God is speaking, and and this this video that Bruce did, well done, Bruce. That was awesome. wasn't It wasn't scripted at all. We never actually we spoke briefly because Bruce needed to know more or less how to ask or what question to ask. And when when I watch the video and in worship, seeing what God's doing, I kind of feel like. It's so in line. It's really good to have a look at how we take the step. So God is saying this morning, we're moving from something that's ankle deep into something that's much deeper, perhaps where we can't even stand, right? He's saying that what has happened in the past needs to be left in the past and we need to move forward. And this morning, I, I, I kind of, I say to Dan, I looked through my preach and I said, God, what, it looks good. I think it looks good. But God, what does it mean? And I felt God say this. It means we're breaking camp. And when you break camp, God is speaking to me in the worship. It means you leave stuff behind. It means you don't try and gather every single thing. You don't try and gather every single hurt. You don't try and gather every single disappointment. You leave it behind. You take what you need, and you move forward. Is that good? When we go into a place that we don't know about or we've never been before, there is often a comfort of what we do know. And especially when we go into a body of water that is deeper than this. There's an unsurety to what's there. There's an unsureness of God. Will I cope there? Will I be able to? I know I can stand here, so I know what's happening, but I don't know if I can make it there. And I believe, friends, this morning, God is asking us to break camp to take a journey. Is that okay? You can nod your head, then I know you're with me. All right, so this morning we're talking. It's a weird title. I don't even know really what it means. The process of promise. So I thought, let's break it up. So we're looking at promises. Um, some promises in the Bible that come to mind. The first one being is that when man fell, immediately there's something called the first gospel when God said, I will make this right. I will crush what Satan has done to my people. Then there is another one through Abraham. I will make you so many and I will bless the nations through you. Then six generations later, there's Moses standing and Moses is also holding on to a promise. I will take my people into a land that I will make their own. In all of these, there is a journey. There's a moving that's taking place. And although you, you could kind of go, but Moses didn't actually make it into the promised land. He didn't actually take them there. That's very true. But did Moses walk into many of the promises God had for him? Did he? Friends, we need to walk into the promises God has for us. And I thought it's very dangerous to think of a promised land of, as in God, when I get there, then there's milk and honey and I'll be made. Because then I can have nest quick and I'm not sure what you're going to do with the honey, but then I'll be sorted. Because once I'm comfortable there, I'll be fine. But I kind of felt like the bigger picture is that the promised land for you and I is heaven. And it's heaven when we see Jesus face to face. But walking and and moving into the promise or promises of God is very different for you and I. The promises that are over my life are very different to the promises that are over Wade's life. Is that true? I do not have the same. God is not speaking the same thing to me where I must walk, where my journey goes, as he is for Kelson. It's very different, very different. For each of us as individuals, God has spoken a different promise. And I thought this would be a good indication. Put your hand up if you have got a promise that God has spoken over you, you're feeling in your heart that you have not yet walked into. Put your hand up. Many of us, some of us are, some of us are up there. It's okay. So say to the person next to you, tell them in one sentence, what is a promise? One sentence. Just whisper. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. Whisper if you think you're wrong. 
right, so if, here's the answer. This is a cool, this is a teacher thing. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. So a promise is a declaration or assurance that something will happen or will take place. I like the word declaration. Declaration means someone has said something, it will happen or it will take place. I like to think of a promise as a mountaintop experience. So sometimes it takes a while to get to the top. And it's, it's weird being on the top of a mountain because you kind of, the air's a little bit thinner. Here in Dubai, it's a little bit hotter because the air cons are down there. But you gain a different perspective. You can kind of see from the top who's balding, who's not balding, <laughs> who's wearing what. <laughs> I didn't say any names, so come on. So from the top, when you, when you fulfill or when you're standing in a promise, very often you're in a place of being in awe of God. And I can imagine being at the top of a mountain your perspective completely changes. It's almost like things stop because you're thinking, everything looks different. When I was down at the bottom, I was so worried about what was happening there. My stress, what I have to do this week, what's on my phone, my appointments, all these types of things. But when you step into a promise, everything looks a whole lot different. And one of the things is when mountaintop can be dangerous because then we could be thinking about massive, massive events. Only if God does big things doesn't mean he's working or fulfilling a promise. But actually, there's hilltop experiences. There's much smaller promises that God fulfills perhaps every day. And in our humanity, very often we want to jump from one experience to the next. We want to go from mountaintop to mountaintop, from hilltop to hilltop. We go, God, this is great. I, I'm, I'm loving you. I'm loving being here. But I want to, I want to jump to the next one. And I did study geography, but maybe I might be incorrect in saying this, but if two mountaintops are linked, there's still one mountaintop, right? It's still one apex of a mountain. It's still one summit. There's hardly ever where a hill and a mountaintop are linked, so you can go, oh, I'm on Everest, why not jump across to the next mountain? It's always a journey from here to there. Does that make sense? All right, so at the moment, I've been reading through uh, the Bible. And I've just finished Numbers and I've gone on to Deuteronomy. And it's very interesting because God has taken Israel through this journey and they're about to stand and walk into the promised land. Literally, there is a new generation that is standing there. They have seen the promises of God. They've seen them being fulfilled. Not only that, they've literally seen it. They've stood on one place, like I said, godly perspective, and they've seen there is the promised land. That's where the promise is. That's what we're going to walk into. So sometimes we can actually see what the promises that God is speaking to us about very, very clearly, very, very clearly. A good one is, is if someone, God speaks to you to bless someone with something, and they've been praying for it, but they have no idea when it's going to happen, and they're blessed with it. Or perhaps God has said to you, you will move here very specifically to Kenya. Perhaps God has said, you will need to be there planted in this church called City Lights and serve. Here you are. And you can actually see it. And they saw the promised land. They saw where God was taking them to. And they're standing right there, just before. And here is the biggest problem between a promise and a promise, mountaintop, mountaintop, hilltop, hilltop, is the journey we have to go through, is the journey, is the moving, is the leaving behind and going on to something new. 
So in speaking about Israel about to walk into the promised land, their journey should have taken, and most of us would have heard these kinds of facts, 11 days. So today is Friday. I worked it out. I can't remember. Friday, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. That means Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. If we walk, we would have been there by next week, Tuesday. Instead of the journey being 11 days, it took 13,000 days. Let that sink in. Less than half a month to how many years? You know it. How many years? 40 years. Less than half a month, friends, to 40 years. Is there a shorter way? Is there a shorter way to walk out of Egypt and get to Palestine than 40 years? Yes? They say that Sinai, this blew my mind, Mount Sinai, where they stopped, is 320 kilometers off course. So it's like you're going like this, you're already doing like the zigzag because it's going to take 40 years, and then you just go like that. And you're, you're not even going in the same direction you were going in terms of where you were headed. They say that on the way there's barely any shade, barely any water. Begs the question, why? If God is your travel agent, surely the one who made the heavens and the earth would know how to get from Palestine or from Egypt to Palestine. Would he not know the quickest route? As our travel agent, would God not know we do not want to stop over? God, I want a direct flight. If you can bum me up to business, that would be pretty good. I'm not going to ask for first because I know first class is, is pretty cool, but I don't, know. I, I don't know if I have the faith for that. But if you could bum me up, I don't mind 11 hours in the plane. That's cool. I have a baby now, so maybe that is a little bit different. But God, would you be able to take us there? Friends, how come? How come? Is it a stubborn people? Is it a God who can't get his bearings right? We're going to read it in Deuteronomy now. So they walk through a Red Sea. They see God promise, miracle, miracle, and they don't walk into the promised land. And God says this to them. He says, I'm not taking you from Egypt all the way into Palestine because of one thing. You will forget me. The prosperity of what exists in that promise right now is actually too much for you to handle. It sounds good. You think you know what it is, but this journey that we're walking on is so incredibly important that when you get there, you have to be ready for it. So let's read in Deuteronomy 8. This is what God says. He says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commandments, His laws, and His decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you out, or he brought water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known, to humble and to test you, that in the end it might go well with you. Say it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives the ability to produce wealth and so confirm his covenant, uh, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. So we have to take the journey. The journey is the preparation point. Look at the person next to you and say, I hope you have the right shoes. <laughs> it's going to be a long journey. 
So a, a good modern-day illustration. Um, there's a, I read an article that says 70% of people that win the lottery. Do you all know what the lottery is? That's when you buy a ticket and you get a massive amount of money which you don't really deserve, millions usually. So 70% of people who enter in the lottery and win become broke, have no more money left. I read an article of a, of a British girl who won the lottery at 16 years old. 16 years old, she won just under 2 million pounds. I mean, that's almost enough money to buy South Africa. You could probably buy Natal <laughs> and the Western Cape with that much money. Within 10 years, so she won 2 million. Within 10 years' time, she had 2,000 pounds left of the, not 10 million, sorry, 2 million. Did I say 10 million? So within, doesn't matter. Within 10 years, she had 2,000 pounds left of 2 million. She was quoted as saying, when she has almost nothing, I'm happy now. I have a job and I have a family. So I, I read the article to see, well, how, how do you win so much money? And it spiraled out of control. And it just said she, literally whatever she wants, she took. She changed her whole appearance. She changed everything. Whatever her eye desired, she took. Whatever she wanted, she took. And from the abundance that she had, stepping straight into massive amounts of money, she now has pretty much nothing left. And she's happy because she has a job and a family. Isn't that an incredible modern-day illustration of there is a lot that God has planned for us, but if we decide to not take the journey with him and suddenly step into it, how are we going to be able to steward what he's given us? Here's an incredible quote. It says, The good that God aimed to do through the wilderness testing was to make his people intensely, deeply, and lastingly conscious of their total dependence on him for everything. God aimed to give them experiences in the wilderness that would make it impossible, impossible for a reasonable person to say, it's my might, it's my power, it is my hand that has given me this. Friends, the journey we're on gives all glory to God and it keeps us humble and not in a place of saying, God, I have made this with my hand, with my power. This is all because of me and my clever way of thinking. But instead, when the promise comes along, we can say, Humbly, God has given me this. I'm here because of what he's given me. And when you understand that, it's quite easy to steward it. So the journey through the wilderness, often called sanctification, being made more like Jesus or more holy. And one of the questions we could ask is, God, why? Why do I have to walk through a valley? Because, friends, some of us walk through very, very deep valleys. Let's not pretend that we're just walking past a couple of trees and an oasis and then we get to a mountain. Some of us walk through incredibly deep valleys of loss, of disappointment, really deep valleys. And I believe God has given me a word for you at the end, but let's talk about it. So we're walking through valleys, and back in the 90s, we would have said to God, God, why did you do that? Why did you lead me through this way, and you have not left me that way? That way looks a little bit better. And God would say to you, look at your wrist. And the reason why I said in the 90s, because we'd have one of those cool, what would Jesus do bangles? And it would remind us, well, hey, if it happened to Jesus... God, if you led him a certain way, you have to lead me a certain way. So let me open up my Bible. There I go to Matthew. Let me start reading. Oh, here we go. Jesus comes onto the scene. All right, Matthew 3. Jesus is being baptized. Man, it's about to go just peachy for him. He's being baptized. He comes out of the water. They hear God's voice. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. What is the very next part? Yeah, you know, where's he led? He's led into the desert, into the wilderness. 
So it's not a favoritism thing. God doesn't like me more than he likes you. God doesn't like Jesus perhaps more than he likes us, if I can say that. It is a complete love that if he will lead his son through a time of testing so he can stand on him completely, he'll do the same for you and me. And I'll bring you back to the reminder of if we're breaking camp and leaving the disappointments, if we're leaving the things that are not of God, if we're getting rid of the things that are not of him, Friends, the journey requires that this happens. It requires that we leave those things. It requires that we're almost disciplined in, well, God, how do we do this? What do we do? My son, my daughter, your dependence is on me, and that's where we move from. So here's, if anything, if anything, this is the one phrase I would like you to remember. It's not going to go up there. It goes like this. The journey prepares us to walk or rather the other way around. The journey prepares us to be ready and to walk into the promises of God. We have to be prepared to walk into it. We have to be made ready. And who better than God who knows everything? Amen? Who better than God that knows everything? Very often if we're asked, what's going to happen in five years? That was a common question many years ago. What is five years going to look like in your life? Well, friends... My brother said at my wedding, Ryan doesn't really know what he's doing. He never seems to have a plan, but somehow he always gets there. And I thought, I almost took offense, and I thought, he's right in the sense that it's not about trying to say, well, God, I will end up in Dubai, I will be in al I'll be in warehouse number five, blah, blah, blah. It's about me trusting, well, God, if you're leading me, I see something of the bigness that you have for me over here. I can see that I'm going in this direction, but God, I will completely trust in the process. I will completely trust when I'm there and I'm following you, you will do your work. Amen? All right, so a couple of points on how. How does going from, from who knows where to your promise, let's say promise to promise, how, how does this journey, what's the point of it? How does it work? How does it change us? Here's point number one. The journey we are walking towards or on towards the promise affects our knowledge of God. Jesus, when being tempted by the devil, in all three occasions, what did he do? He stood on the word. And I thought, I wrote wrote here, don't call it a Bible, because whenever we call it a Bible, it sounds like a book. When I call that a Bible, it sounds like a book I put on my shelf. But when I call it God's word, what does it sound like then? So when I approach this book of pages, I don't approach a Bible full of stories. I approach God's word, the word that is spoken out of his mouth. And Jesus, in the time of temptation, stood on God's word all three times. He stood on God's promise all three times. So we are renewed in our knowledge, which goes into the second point. From the captivity of Egypt, there's a renewing of our minds and knowledge that takes place. I don't think I said this. There we go. We can't live. We're living this side of the cross. In other words, very often we approach a situation without thinking of the redemptive walk that God has for us. Redeeming is buying back. Friends, when we are facing temptation in the enemy, we cannot get there and go, oh my goodness, I need help in terms of, uh, Jesus, I need you to die for me for this. Whereas your mind is renewed. You stand in front of something that you're facing, a Goliath, a giant, a monster, whatever it is, depression, whatever is on your life, you stand in front of it knowing that you have been bought. There is a redemptive buying back. You stand in front with a confidence knowing that Jesus is the reason you're standing there, and the cross is no longer empty. There is no longer a man hanging on a cross. Amen? 
There is an empty cross, friends. So that power that raised him from the dead is now available to you and me. That is where we stand in when we're facing something. We stand in a bought, resurrected power. Amen? We don't stand in front of something with a crutch. Jesus, I need you to die again. I need to see the whole passion of the Christ and the crucifixion all over again because I need that. No, you don't need it. You need to stand in what Jesus has already done, a finished work on the cross. His finished work on the cross, friends, is your finished work on the cross. Amen? All right, point number three. There's a reliance in the provision that God can only bring. We've kind of covered that, hey? And number four, there is a growth and wisdom in the journey as we journey together. As we journey together, there is no problem at all with us having friends who do not know Jesus. In fact, that is the right thing to do. We need to have friends that don't know Jesus. But friends, how does, it says in Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. How does one man, one lady, how do, they, how do we sharpen each other if we're not walking with people who know Jesus? It's perfectly fine to have friends who go out and party, to have friends who have no idea who Jesus is and you can tell by their language. It's comp- it's, that is how it's supposed to be. But friends, how do we sharpen each other? How do we journey together if me and my friend aren't saying, hey, how are you and Jesus doing this week? If me and my friend aren't talking to each other about our journey, about our walk? Amen? This is one of, it's an incredible community because think about this. When you walk through the door, what's your first thought? If you've been here many, many times. What's your first thought when you walk through the door? I mean, when you're outside, you're like, it's boiling hot, I can't even think. But when you walk through the door, what's your first thought? What's your frame of mind? How does, how does your whole emotional state, how, what, what do you feel when you walk into the door? I'm making it sound quite deep, eh? <laughs> I walk through the door every time, and it doesn't matter if I'm really tired. It doesn't matter if I'm not tired at all. But every time I walk through this door and I walk into this church, I feel refreshed. And I'm not trying to, I'm, I don't mean spiritual. I'm not trying to make it sound grand. I feel refreshed because of you, because of the people that we're walking with, right? This community helps me walk forward. I am here today holding a microphone because of this community, not because of me. It's because of this community. Many of us who have left our homes, who have journeyed together here, are where we are today because of this community. And if God has knitted this community together, friend, there is such a special privileged place for you and I in this togetherness. Amen? So when we break camp, I might ask you to help me pack up my tents. I might ask you to help me get rid of the trash. I might help you ask me to do all these things so we can journey together. Point five. This is very interesting. Paul says, he says, we are able to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of our body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. And the reason why I chose this point and I highlighted on my, on my page, I highlighted the word spirit is because there is an essential spiritual growth. The Bible says that, that physical fitness is of importance. It, it is of some importance. It's good to be fit, but it also says that godliness is good for everything. And there is a godliness, a training up, a spiritual fitness which happens here in City Lights. There is a spiritual training which happens when you're in this journey, when you're in the wilderness, because you learn to rely on God. The first thing I always ask people is, if they were very church back home, I say to them, how do you feel now? How does your journey feel now? And most of them say, it's very different. And I say, I agree. I feel like I cling much closer to God here. In the Middle East, I feel like I have to cling to God, especially when you work near a mosque. A mosque reminds me of Jesus. 
Isn't that incredible? Whatever you see here, we always, sometimes we see those things and we think, oh, the devil, the devil, cast out. Should I go in there and should I preach the gospel? The mosques, this Middle Eastern region we, we live in, friends, if you have a look at the, of Christianity in the UAE, did you know that we, by we, I mean probably our ancestors many, 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 many years ago, we brought hospitals here to the Middle East? Did you know that? Did you know that you're part of a lineage that brought hospitals here? Did you know that you brought schools here? Isn't that amazing? Before we were even here, and when the locals were still in the desert, Christians came to the Middle East, had a relationship with the local families, brought education to the Middle East, brought health care to the Middle East. Did you know that? Some of you are looking at me confused. It's true. The research has been done. What else are we going to bring? What else is God going to bring to the Middle East that we can be part of? Amen. And then the last one, point six. I stole this from Dan. It says, we are blessed so we can bless. And you didn't know, but you, you're, I kind of, as soon as you said that, I thought, that's mathematical straight away. And I'll tell you why. It's because whatever we're given in God, we can give out. So you can finish it. We are blessed so we can. We are loved so we can. We are encouraged so we can. We are appreciated so we can. See all these things that we get given literally from heaven. From heaven flows straight into us so that we can do all these things, so that we can sow out all these things in our influence where we are. Amen? Isn't that incredible? All right, so Dan, you guys can come up. So here's the last part. So as they're about to walk in to the promised land, Moses says, hold on a minute. I've got something to say. And this is essentially Moses' last sermon. They're about to walk in. He's got, I think, I may be wrong, 600,000-odd people. They're about to walk in, and he says, I've got something to say. And he starts to reflect and to remind himself on what God has done. He says to the people, do you remember our journey so far? Friends, do you remember your journey so far? Do you remember where God has brought us? Do you remember what God has done? Do you remember how he has led us? And I felt God say this. I felt some of us might feel like we're in slavery this morning. We might feel like we're still, actually, I'm not even right. I'm not on that journey. I feel like I'm still in Egypt. I, sl- I feel like I'm still under some kind of stronghold and I haven't come out under that. And Moses' reflection is God has delivered you. You may feel like you're on the journey trying to get there. And Moses' message is God is the one who has helped us persevere. God is the one who has encouraged us. Perhaps you're standing on a hill or mountaintop this morning on a promise of God that has just been delivered to you. Moses' message is remind yourself who it is. Remind yourself who it is who has brought you this far. And he finishes off with this. No matter how deep the valley is, no matter how far underground you go, there is a good shepherd who will bring you out. And friend, if you trust and obey that good shepherd, he will deliver you into a promise. He will help you conquer the land. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.